Welcome to Maximal Being, a podcast devoted to ditching fad diets and using real science to get you healthy and feeling great. I'm Doc Mock, a GI and functional medicine doctor who harnesses the power of gut health to get you achieving your goals. And I'm Jackie P, a well-informed layman who challenges the experts and asks the questions that you want. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button or leave a comment. And now, on to the show. Hello, 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 Maximal Beans. It is I, Jackie P, your favorite layman, hanging out in Philadelphia. It's nice today. And uh, of course, who would I be? I can't be a layman if I don't have my genius at my side. Doc Mock, how are you today, sir? Well, I don't know. We're going to have to look for that genius thing you're talking about, <laughs> but I'm glad to be here with you too, Jackie P. And I'm so excited to have our guest today because I feel like our conversation today, this podcast on fatigue is going to actually be a cure for the condition itself. So yeah. get ready, Maximal Beings. You're going to learn <laughs> a lot. And for those of you that are listening for the first time, I'm Doc Mock. I'm a therapeutic endoscopist, which is a fancy type of GI doctor that treats and removes GI cancers. I'm also a functional medicine doctor practicing here in Tampa Bay, Florida. Back to you, and Jackie I, P. And I am Jackie P, a someone who is very looking forward to learning from these two gentlemen, but also uh, I am your layman. I will make sure that uh, everything stays at a consumable level that us everyday folk who aren't, you know, saving lives in the medical field every day can understand. And I'm also excited to drop the only thing I ever remember from AP Bio uh, when we get into it. But we're not going to get into it. I'm going to hold it a little cliffhanger. <laughs> All right. I think we're I already know what that is. I have yeah, a guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure you do. Uh, so, Ari. So, let me introduce a, a proper introduction. So, we have Ari, right? Title of the book, Eat for Energy, which is like right along the lines of the maximal being philosophy, right? I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to talk about this topic. Ari, how are you today? I'm great. It's a pleasure to be here, guys. Thank you for having me on. Paleo, keto, vegan, and carnivore. Maybe you've tried them all, but did you have success? Are you still doing that diet? Turns out there's not just one diet right for one particular person. By understanding how your body works and the relationship behind your body's workings and these diets, you can then approach the perfect plan for you. In the Perfect Human Diet course, we talk to you about your body's inner workings and the pros and cons of each plan. We discuss how our ancestors ate and have eaten and lay a framework to tailoring a plan that is perfect for you. To learn more about the Perfect Human Diet course, head to MaximalBeing.com courses to find out more. And as always, I'm Doc Mock, and I'm here to maximize your health. You cannot supplement your way to health, but there are things that we need to add to our lives that can maximize our pathway to wellness. The American diet is virtually devoid of omega-3 fatty acids, which play a major role in cardiovascular disease, gut permeability, and mental health. Personally, I take omega-3s every night and iHerb is the best place for clean, natural sources of supplements. I love the ZenWise Omega-3 Fatty Acid Supplement which is free of fish burps and good for the environment. Head on over to MaximalBeing.com slash iHerb, that's I-H-E-R-B, and enter the code B as in boy, D as in dog, B as in boy, 
888-888-5528 and receive 10% off your orders for all supplements. Maximize your supplements with iHerb. As always, everyone, you know the format. Before we talk about, you know, we get into the meat, right? We always want to talk about our our, our guest, right? And, 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 and hear a little bit about how did Ari become, right? The, the author of Eat for Energy, right? There's always a backstory. There's always that catalyst, right? So Ari, if you could walk us through a little bit of your superhero origin story and tell us, you know, what brought you here up to us? What brought you here to us today? Yeah. So uh, health science has really been my passion since I was a little kid. This is something that I've been doing obsessively for, you know, eight or 10 hours a day since I was 12 years old. And uh, it's what I'd be doing even if I didn't make a career out of it. I'd still be obsessed with all of this stuff. So I'm I'm going on 39 years old here in a couple months, and um, so that in itself really is is sort of the the crux of it. This is my lifelong passion since I was a little kid. Um, but originally, it started more in the bodybuilding, fitness, athletic performance world. And uh, I was an aspiring bodybuilder as as a teenager and in my 20s. My older brother was a personal trainer who was being mentored by professional bodybuilders. So that was kind of my world for about a a decade. I was also an athlete, a a soccer player, martial artist. And and then in my mid-20s, something happened that really changed things pretty dramatically for me, which was that I got very sick with Epstein-Barr virus. I got mononucleosis. Um, also called in other countries, glandular fever or the kissing disease. And I would like to say that I got it from kissing, but I think I actually got it from sharing a water bottle with a bunch of dudes while playing soccer. Um, So yeah, I got the, not, not a good way of getting it, but um, (laughs) I got quite sick for about four weeks, really, really ill. I, I had extreme swelling in the back of my throat, um, like giant, like two basically golf balls of pus at the back of my throat mm. that made it so I couldn't eat um, any food. It was just too painful. So I was living off broth for about a month and I lost about 40 pounds of muscle. And I was mostly bedridden during that time. But the worst part about it is that for about a year after it, I had pretty debilitating chronic fatigue. And that experience really rocked my world because I I was always an athlete. I was always healthy. uh, I always had lots of energy prior to that. And when I didn't have any energy, I watched as kind of my whole life fell apart. You know, my relationship with friends and with my girlfriend, my, I I was working at the time and I was in school at the time and um, I wasn't able to do any of it. My brain didn't work. My body didn't work. I was, I had a, a, intense manual labor job at the time. I couldn't do my job. Um, I tried and it just, I mean, it was brutal and it made, and it made me worse. And then every time I try, I'd be in bed for two or three days after. And, um, I I really just kind of watched my whole life fall apart and all my hopes and dreams in life fade in into the abyss as this thing called energy was, was taken away from me. And that experience combined with seeking out conventional medical doctors and combined with seeking out alternative and functional medicine doctors. And I could tell you a lot of details about, about that. We can get into it if you want. Um, but really realizing they, they didn't understand the story of human energy regulation, the science of human energy regulation. They don't understand, um, 
what is actually controlling the energy regulation mechanisms of the body. And, um, and that was really the catalyst for me to go, hey, maybe I should switch, switch my area of focus from you know, the world of body composition and fitness and athletic performance to energy. And I, I, at that point, I kind of became obsessed with the science of human energy production and regulation. And that was about 10 years ago. So that's what I've been doing for the last decade. Wow. That's, that's incredible. It's, uh, you know, it's, um, it's, it's one, you know, uh, I'm sorry to hear that you had to go through that, right. It doesn't sound fun, right? Like live (laughs) eating broth for a month and, you know, and just kind of like see feeling the, the lack of energy. It's, uh, must be a difficult situation and, and, and difficult thing to go through. But, um, but that, you know, I'm glad that you're here today and I'm glad that we can talk about what you've learned and we can share it with the people listening. And I'm also finally ready to say what I've learned that everyone knows that everyone remembers, <laughs> right? All my fellow uh, magic school bus folks, right? Mitochondria, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's right. The powerhouse of the cell, right? If yeah. there's anything they didn't beat into <clears throat> your brain more in school was that. And I dare say, right, based off a little bit of the readings that, you know, Doc Mock shared, right, it's it's the powerhouse of you, right? I guess, you know, your cells are you, essentially, right? So um, I know I already expertly explained what the mitochondria is for the people, <laughs> right? But, uh, you know, wh- wh- how would, what would you, how would you put it, right? You know, you know, what is the mitochondria? So, you know, every, everybody knows everybody remembers exactly what you remember, you yeah. know, which is we were all taught in, in high school and college biology course, and even at, at higher levels in graduate school and medical school, what they teach about the mitochondria is really, it's the powerhouse of the cell. It's, it's producing the energy, most, most virtually all of the energy that the cell is running on. And they're they're mostly framed like that and, and for the most part it tends not the discussion tends not to go a whole lot deeper than that um and they're talked about almost as it's kind of like one of many cellular organelles like over here's the endoplasmic reticulum over here's the golgi apparatus here's some lysosomes here's the the mitochondria and yada 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 it's like okay yeah mitochondria are just one of many things going on in the cell which is technically true. Um, And they're talked about as these sort of mindless energy generators for the most part. Like they just take in carbs and fats and they pump out energy in the form of something called ATP, adenosine triphosphate, cellular energy. And um, in a a way, you know, mitochondria have been known about for over a hundred years. And this role as the powerhouse of the cell in energy generation has been known about for a long time. But interestingly, it's really only in the last 10 years or so that our understanding of what mitochondria are really doing has has deepened profoundly. And I would even go so far as to say has been revolutionized, in particular by the work of Dr. Robert Navio, who runs a lab for mitochondrial medicine at the University of California, San Diego. And he wrote a paper back in 2014 called the cell danger response. And this paper basically argued that energy generation, the powerhouse of the cell is only one of two key aspects of mitochondrial function. And they have a second 
role that is just as important as their role in energy production, and that is as cellular defenders. So it turns out that mitochondria, uh, in addition to being energy generators, are also energy regulators. And the the distinction there is like a, a spark plug in your car is necessary for your car to work, or the catalytic con converter or like the pistons in the engine or whatever other part of the car specific part is necessary for it to work, but it's not the thing that is regulating the whole process of that engine working. So there's a difference between a part that allows something to work that is necessary for it to work versus the, the most upstream thing that is actually regulating that thing. In this case, we could say the person sitting in the car who's taking the key and turning the engine on and deciding whether to press the brake or the accelerator pedal is the most upstream thing that is regulating whether or not that car is moving down the road. Um, and this is really what mitochondria are in our body. They are not only producing the energy, but they are deciding whether or not to produce the energy. And they, they do that because they are, in fact, like the canaries in the coal mine of our body. They are exquisitely sensitive environmental sensors. And they are constantly taking samples of what's going on in the body to determine if it's safe to produce energy. So they're constantly taking samples and asking the question, are, is, are there any threats present? Are there any stressors present? Is it safe for us to be in energy production mode? And if not, if they're picking up on the presence of threats or stresses or some things that are disrupting the, the, the or threatening the, the optimal function of the body, whether that's poor nutrition or sleep deprivation or psychological stress or environmental toxicants or poor gut health or you name it, to the extent they're picking up on those stressors, they're turning down the dial on energy production mode and switching resources towards cellular defense. And that is fundamentally the, the, the most foundational regulatory mechanism that controls our energy levels. Yeah, I, I couldn't have put it better myself. And, and I think you were so spot on in the fact that you express that it is more than just a mindless turbine producing adenosine triphosphate or ATP or energy. It kind of shuffles between this whole concept of fission, right? Mitochondrial fission, where it's in that protection mode and mitochondrial fusion, where it's in that I'm, I'm healthy, I'm ready, I'm, I'm able to generate that energy to feed the body that I'm a part of. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm, I'm certain, you know, this, and, but for the listeners out there, you can thank your mother 100% for your mitochondria. All of the DNA that exists within your mitochondria is for, from your mother. And actually there is a almost 100% correlation between a certain bacteria in your microbiome, rhizopa bacteria, and those genetics that you get from your mother, which is really interesting. And I would encourage all of you to listen back to our mitochondria or um, our microbiome episode that we did, I don't know, maybe 10 episodes ago. So back to you, Jackie. You know, you, you bring up an interesting point, or I guess I have a question and no questions usually on the other side. You say, you think our, we think our mother, so the mitochondria is a hundred percent from our mothers. And does that affect anything? I know we're talking about energy, but does it affect anything like from a genetic standpoint, like on energy levels where like my mom is a 
nonstop all the time, going all the time. And I am also <laughs> nonstop going all the time. Or is that just, you know, coincidence? <laughs> I don't know of data. I mean, do you, Ari, that correlates like, you know, your own mother's energy or, or I don't know, activity indices with, with, with people that, I don't know, have high activity indices? Yeah, to, to my knowledge, the actual data on that does not exist yet, but it's an yeah. interesting question. And I think it's almost certainly the case that that we would find profound correlations if that was studied. Uh, I'll tell you, for example, my, my wife is uh, physically a, a genetic freak. I mean, she's... she's <laughs> grows muscle easier than any person I've ever met. You know, she's got, she's had two kids. She's got six pack abs. She hardly works out. She has both very high levels of endurance and high levels of strength and speed and power. Like, you know, my, my kids, I think are definitely blessed with better mitochondrial DNA than I have for sure. <laughs> and awesome. I, I think, I think, you know, guys, it, it's really interesting. The things that stimulate mitochondrial fusion that like, you know, hide, hide and hibernate versus the, the fusion aspect. It's not always the stuff that you would think that would be helpful for the human body. Right. So, you know, we think in a fasted state, our body would not want to produce a lot of energy, but it turns out it's the opposite, right? When we're in a fasted state, your, your body kicks those mitochondria on the fusion and just produces a ton of energy, which is why some people feel really great on, on time-restricted eating. Um, and then things that we give patients, you know, a ton of medications can induce fission and make those mitochondria super sick. I mean, one of the most common medications is metformin. Everybody that's on metformin has some sort of awful side effects, but mm -hmm. I mean, if you need it, you need it. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, there's a website called I haven't looked at it in a few years, but I think it's called Mito Action, if I remember correctly. But it it compiled a list of all the different prescription medications that have mitochondrial toxic characteristics, and it's a very long list. It's actually shockingly yeah. common to see uh, how many of these prescription drugs are are toxic to mitochondria. Ah, that's that's a that's a good resource to know. What's going on, Maximal Beings? It's Doc Mock here. Many of you are returning to the gym now but some are not going back. Regardless of what you plan, Rogue has got the right gear to fit your needs. I personally own a barbell set and love it. The black op shorts are sweat resistant and flexible for getting deep in your squats. Head on over to maximalbeing.com rogue for our referral link. Order three items and they ship for free. And as usual, it's Doc Mock and I'm here to maximize your pathway to wellness. If you're stuck at home and cannot make it to the grocery store, delivery may be the best way to stay clean and healthy. Instacart is the national leader in the direct-to-home delivery service. With numerous major chains and food from smaller stores, you can get those local veggies sent directly to your doorstep. Head on over to MaximalBeing.com Instacart and maximize your nutrition today. And also another question. So the mitochondria produces more energy when we're in a fasted state, is that from just back in the day when we used to have to like chase down our next meal when we were hungry? Do you think it's like something, I don't know. I'm just coming up with all these theories. I uh, mean, mate, yeah. <laughs> I, and, and, you know, Jackie P I got to write these down because this is like, you know, prime for research. Um, you know, I, I think that if it's based on primordial DNA, right, there must be yeah. some primordial mechanism. But I mean, during a fasted state, we're releasing fat cells as a, an energy resource, which 
most human beings in westernized America are ripe with fat cells that are, you know, just full and dense with energy, right? You can get way more energy ATP from one fat cell unit than you can from a carbohydrate or an amino acid protein unit. Well, if I can, if I can, um, add some comment here, commentary here, and, and this, this might expand the discussion quite a bit. Um, there's something called hormetic stress or hormesis, and it's basically how transient metabolic stress influences the body and kind of counterintuitively stimulates the body to make adaptations that actually make it more resistant to stress, not only to the one that it was exposed to, but to a broad range of other stressors. And um, fasting can can be a type of intermittent uh, can be a type of hormetic stressor. Other types of hormetic stressors are all the different subtypes of exercise. Whether we're talking um, high intensity interval training or resistance training or steady state endurance training, or um, breath holding practices, thermal stress like heat and cold exposure, uh, and there are a number of chemicals and phytochemicals that also are. Um, what are called xenobiotic or xenohormetic hormetic stressors. And basically the way that these work is when when the body is, well, actually, let me step back. Um, The mitochondria are directly involved with responding to stressors. So in other in in order to meet the energetic demands of a particular stressor whether it's being in a sauna or being in an ice bath or doing breath holds or doing exercise or anything of that nature there is increased demand on the mitochondria to produce energy. Now if you imagine let's say we were all in the same room together right now the three of us and let's say there was a building on fire next to us would it be easier for me to go put that fire out by myself or with the two of you helping, right? It's easier if I have you guys also throwing buckets of water and using hoses on that fire too. And, um, and also why are we in there still? We got to get out. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, basically when the mitochondria are taxed to a significant degree where they're taxed near their threshold near their capacity of how much work they can handle, how much energy energy they can produce to meet that demand, there are certain processes that are stimulated actually by increased levels of oxidative stress, increased levels of reactive oxygen species um, or free radicals, the opposite. You know, people have heard of antioxidants. These are oxidants, which um, historically have gotten a really bad rap and people think, oh, oxidants bad, antioxidants good. But it turns out that actually these oxidants uh, serve a vital signaling role at the mitochondrial level where they are signaling molecules that basically tell the mitochondria, tell other mitochondria, hey, we've exceeded our capacity to handle this particular workload or stress load. Let's initiate adaptations to help make us stronger, to better better able uh, to better handle future exposures to this level of stress. So in the same way that lifting a heavy weight, doing bicep curls with a heavy weight and challenging your biceps stimulates that bicep to grow stronger, the same exact thing happens at the mitochondrial level. And um, so this process of mitochondrial fusion and what's called mitochondrial biogenesis 
the growth and the, the, the creation of more mitochondria from scratch happens as an adaptation to mitochondria being stressed and being taxed with a workload that exceeds their current capacity to handle easily. Yeah. And, and Jackie P, if you remember back to like our cold thermogenesis episode that we did, you know, those signaling molecules that we call them ubiquinones or there's PGC1A and 1B and delta, all of these are signals to the mitochondrial to say like, we need some extra energy based upon this stressor that we need, whether it be low energy state, et cetera. And Jackie P and I are, are firm believers in cold thermogenesis. I mean, the, yes. the man used to work out in the snow on the rooftop in Philadelphia. Yes. So Whoa. yeah. That's I was inspired by Iraqi movies, just like that. <laughs> he looks amazing. I could get straight like that too. Just do some Punch curls in the snow, yeah. you know? <laughs> nice. Uh, okay. Um, so yeah, go for it. Jack. No, I just, I, 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 one, thank you for helping explain the roles of mitochondria uh, beyond the expert level that I, of course, explained in the beginning. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I like to take a step back and also just expand a little bit, you know, folks who are out there who might be experiencing chronic fatigue, right? So for you, it was something that, uh, like, there was a catalyst, right? You got, you know, I'm air quoting here, right? The kissing disease, right? Um, but like, are there other factors uh, that might put someone in this situation? Is it, you know, if as people grow older, or is it something that people can be uh, like, can they just kind of develop it, right? Just because, right? We all develop ailments here and there. Like what mm -hmm. can contribute to having, you know, poor mitochondria function or, you know? Yeah, great question. So let me recap something I've already said and then I'll add another layer to it. So remember mitochondria have these two roles, energy generation, cellular defense. To the extent that they're being triggered into cellular defense mode, they're turning down energy production. Okay, so they can sense the presence of all these different types of stressors, any type of stressor you can imagine, poor nutrition, sleep deprivation, environmental toxins, poor gut health, uh, pathogens, respiratory infections. For example, you get the symptom of fatigue if you get a cold or a flu or COVID, right? So um, that, that's mediated at the cellular level largely as a result of this, this mechanism. The mitochondria are literally producing less energy at the cellular level throughout your body. Um, now, that in itself is a major factor that, that is causing, basically controlling the degree to which your mitochondria are producing energy or not. W to what degree are they perceiving they're under stress? Now, there's another factor that ties into this that's really important and I find is hugely neglected, um, even within the natural health and functional medicine movements. And that is, what is the, the status of your mitochondria in your cells to begin with? And what I mean by that is there's, there's research showing that uh, with each decade of life, the, our mitochondrial capacity declines by about 10%. Now, that might not seem like that much, but in, let me put this in other terms. We know that the average 70-year-old has lost 75% of their mitochondrial capacity. Their total number of mitochondria in their cells has declined by about 50%, and the mitochondria themselves have been damaged and weakened 
and atrophied, much like the way a muscle atrophies if you put it in a cast, it's atrophied to the point where their energy production capacity is cut in half by 50%. Okay, so um, I should say cut cut in half. Um, that if you do the math on those two things, half the number of mitochondria with half the energy production capacity, this means that you only have 25% of the energy production capacity at the cellular level compared to when you were a young adult, compared to when you were 20, let's say. This is like going from a Ferrari engine to a moped engine in your cells. Wow. Now, if you tie that in with what I was just telling you about hormetic stress and how mitochondria are involved in meeting the energetic demands of stressors, meeting the, the workload demand that they're exposed to. Basically, what's going on is that if you, the total number of mitochondria declines and your mitochondrial energy production capacity declines because they've shrunk, they've shriveled, they've, they've died off, you have far fewer of them. Your work capacity, your your what I call your resilience threshold, which means your capacity to handle the workload and the stressors of your life, declines massively. And once the the resilience threshold or the energy production capacity of mitochondria is exceeded, so if you have a, a total stress load on your body, let's say it's from a combination of sleep deprivation and poor diet and you know, being sedentary and you've got intestinal permeability, you've got leaky gut and you've got, um, let's say some exposure to environmental toxicants. Okay. Now you've got COVID, right. Or some other respiratory infection, um, like Epstein-Barr virus or something like that. Okay. Now, now those systems of your body can be overwhelmed. That resilience threshold can be wow. surpassed. And once you exceed the capacity of your mitochondria to handle the total body stress load, now you've got symptoms. Now you've got a body that's shutting down, that's going into fatigue mode and turning down all the energy production mach machinery to switch into defense mode. So again, just to recap, one aspect is what 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 is the total body stress load? And the other aspect is what is your resilience threshold at the mitochondria? Do you have cells that are filled with weak, shriveled, atrophied mitochondria and very few of them? Or do you have cells filled with lots of big, strong, healthy mitochondria? Yeah. And I, I think that the testing is also, you know, really complicated because you have to determine the root cause, right? Is it an excess of oxidative stress? Are we lacking metabolic cofactors, say, to your mitochondria or byproducts of that metabolic pathway? Or is it an excess of toxicants or a gut dysfunction issue? And so you can really get into the weeds with hundreds and hundreds of tests. But you and, know, and the they don't even they don't even do the kind of test to really assess for mitochondrial capacity, which in my opinion is vitally important, but admittedly, admittedly is a difficult thing to test for. The way they test for it in studies is they take a big hollow needle, they jab it into your thigh, and they pull yeah. out a chunk of muscle tissue right. and count the number of mitochondria in your cells. But most people don't they're really not going to sign that <laughs> right yeah, that doesn't sound fun at all <laughs> no it's not what's going on maximal beings doc mock here if you haven't done so already leave us a comment and hit the subscribe button let your friends and family know that way we can get the word out and continue to bash the bro science